Welcome to the AWB Podcast, the official podcast of the Association of Washington Business. In this episode, we get an update from Vice President of Government Affairs Gary Chandler and the GA team at the midway point of the 2018 legislative session. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us for our webinar on uh, midway through the session. Cutoff has happened, and so we want to kind of bring you up to speed from my staff as to what has transpired. Today, we're the 31st day of a 60-day session, so halfway done. Um, And things are really going, I would say, fairly quickly uh, so far through the session. Um, On the 6th uh, was a fiscal cutoff, and I say fiscal cutoff for the House of Origin, but they don't always stick to that. So theoretically, Tuesday, last Tuesday, was a cutoff for all fiscal bills coming out of the House of Origin. Prior to that, on Friday the 2nd, I believe, was the cutoff for policy committees. But that doesn't mean we're not gonna see more House bills possibly pop up as we go through session. So we've gone through the policy cutoff in the House of Origin, we've gone to the fiscal cutoff, and now they're working on the floor. And probably right now, I think yesterday, the Senate worked fairly late last night. Um, I finally turned the TV off about 10.30 last night, and they were wrapping things up. Um, And so they plan on working about a half a day this coming Saturday uh, in the morning, and then they'll go home about noontime. They're running out probably 25 to 30 bills a day, depending on, as we get further into floor action, Um, The bills will become tougher, and there'll be more debate on a lot of those bills as we go forward. So next week on the 14th is the cutoff for bills in in their origin. So all the House bills have to be passed over the Senate and sent it back over. There again, don't get confused like that because you will see House bills all of a sudden pop out of the House and go over after that date. The 15th of next week is when we're going to see the revenue forecast. That will speed the process up, and I was told this morning we will see the Senate budget come out around the 19th. So once that budget comes out, then things will start cooking a little bit faster so they can wrap things up. Everything I've heard so far still is really want to wrap this up in 60 days, and I don't believe there's anything at this point that's going to stop that from happening. This year, we've had roughly about 1,000 new bills, not counting the ones that are still carried over from last year, but about 1,000 new bills from the House and about that many from the Senate that have been introduced this year. What was interesting at lobby lunch last week and listening to the governor's staff, just coming out on fiscal notes, this year there have been 3,300 fiscal notes done for the legislature so far this year. So we're going to have each one of the staff give kind of a wrap-up as to what is moving forward uh, now that cutoff has happened. Going to hear about education issues, the carbon tax issues, uh, tax and fiscal has got a lot of new bills, capital gains tax out there, REIT tax increases, you name it, and there's proposals out there for all of those to be listened to. Uh, Transportation, I want to thank each and every one of our partners and each and every one of you that have helped us on calling legislators on our alert that we sent out on low carbon fuel standards. We understand that's really having an impact on the legislators. We appreciate that. And the next big push we're really still doing 
is on the B&O tax reduction that we're asking for for the manufacturers. That was part of our trip around the state. Visiting manufacturers last year was to get a B&O tax reduction on all manufacturers from the 484 level down to the same as the aerospace at 0.2904. So those uh, movements are still going on and we really appreciate all of our partners helping with us with those. So I'm gonna turn right now to Amy and Amy can talk about our education issues, healthcare issues that are still alive out there. Amy? Thank you, Gary. Good morning, Amy Anderson, uh, Director for Healthcare Workforce and Education. And we are looking at some changes to last year's past bill that uh, fully funded education. 2242 made sure that we uh, met the McCleary Supreme Court ruling, but there still needs to be some changes to it. So the bill that's moving forward to do those changes will increase funding for special education, creates a transportation, alternative transportation funding because in the original bill, uh, it no longer allows levies specifically for transportation, so the state has now developed a transportation fund for our school transportation efforts. The new bill adjusts regionalization so that we can address some of those school districts where um, you have a higher cost of living, but you have a state salary schedule for our teachers, so that we are meeting the needs and making sure we're able to uh, recruit and retain qualified teachers in those regions. The bill is also uh, making sure that the legislature this session is going to address some of the levy issues, some of the levy questions that we have across the state. We are slowly receiving the levy tax rates for each of the uh, counties. And as we go through and assess that, we'll be able to give you more information on how that's going to impact your businesses, your tax bill this year, as well as that moving forward. So stay tuned for more on that one. A couple of our education issues that are moving forward, career and technical education. They are looking at increasing funding for particular types of career and technical education, mostly alternative uh, vocational education opportunities that are out there for our rural students. Um, and in the rural areas as well, increasing opportunities for our community and technical colleges to provide training for the uh, specific industries that are located in our rural regions. We are really, as Gary mentioned, when we uh, when we traveled around the state last October visiting our manufacturers in particular, there is a high demand for a trained and skilled workforce in those rural regions. So this bill will help address some of those issues by providing funding, additional funding in high demand industry uh, training programs in those rural areas. And then a bunch of different bills around uh, work-based learning opportunities. So apprenticeships, mentorships, job shadowing. How do we make sure our kids are really getting those opportunities and seeing what's available to them? And then how are we making sure too that our education system is addressing those skills that our businesses are looking for? So again, just to wrap up, we, we did fund fully. Uh, we're happy with the way we turned out last session uh, to meet the McCleary decision. So moving forward, how do we address and how do we uh, make sure that the education system is providing those opportunities for our kids and uh, training to the skills that our businesses are looking for. Uh, so in healthcare, just a couple of issues. There have been a couple of bills introducing a reinsurance program. Through the Affordable, Federal Affordable Care Act, there had been some reinsurance opportunities that did expire in 2016. So several states, Washington included, has introduced a bill to develop a reinsurance program to stabilize the individual market. Uh, both bills in the House and in the Senate have been extremely problematic. Uh, they're currently sitting, uh, having been stripped of their funding mechanisms, so not sure where that's, if that's going to move forward. 
That being said, uh, there is a possible option out there. They have uh, reintroduced a bill that would provide an opportunity in those counties where there is not an individual plan available uh, for those folks to actually opt into the SEB plan. Since we have school districts in each of our state's counties, that would be an opportunity for them. So we're closely working with our legislators to make sure that we do stabilize the individual market, but that we don't overly tax uh, our the rest of the folks who are currently purchasing health care. Uh, there is a drug take, take back program uh, that AWB is posing. We're having some issues. This is really causing a high... Uh, high costs, particularly to our manufacturers across the state, the full cost of that take-back program would be put onto the backs of our manufacturers. Um, and that's where we're at with healthcare education and workforce. Do we have any questions? So if you have any questions, we really want to hear from you if you have some questions of Amy. While we're waiting for a question, Amy, I'm going to catch you off guard here, but we have an early early child education summit coming up. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, April 17th in uh, the Seattle area, probably around SeaTac uh, somewhere, we will be hosting the U.S. Chamber on an early childhood learning event. What we're looking at is giving a lay of the land of where is the policy uh, agenda right now at the federal level for early childhood learning. Look at where we're at in Washington State. Uh, hear from some of our uh, businesses who have implemented early childhood learning, and then some speakers around what is the cost uh, to our businesses, but the return on investment as well. If you look at the studies, really investing in early childhood learning is going to prepare our kids to be more successful in our K-12 system, post-secondary system, and then, of course, once they hit the workforce. So really, as we're, we're making that early investment, how is it that our businesses can be, you, can be more involved in that opportunity to uh, help promote that next generation of workforce? So if any of you want to help us participate in that, please make sure you get a hold of uh, Amy as we move forward with that. I'm excited about it because I think it will help get our kids ready for school and will help them in that third or fourth grade on their reading skills that they will be able to pass out in third or fourth grade. So any questions for Amy? Okay, so I'm going to move right into Mary Catherine. Mary Catherine is... Um, not got a whole lot of hot issues this session. Uh, so she will talk to you about uh, some of those that are hanging around out there. Thank you, Gary. Uh, Mary Catherine McAuley here. I'm Government Affairs Director for Environmental Policy and Energy Policy. So as you probably know, uh, the carbon tax moved out of the Senate Energy, Environment, and Telecommunications Committee last Thursday the 1st in the evening. It's, it was referred to Ways and Means, but is currently unscheduled. And we do not have a fiscal note yet. So um, for those unfamiliar with the fiscal note process, that's an impact statement that reports agency costs, which it will be very difficult to write a fiscal note for this bill for reasons that I'll get into. So as you probably saw in the spiller heard, um, the, the rate was reduced of the carbon tax from $20 per ton to $10 per ton. It would begin in 2019 and increase $2 per ton every year annually until it hits $30 per ton. That's roughly equated to $0.10, uh, uh, 10 cents per gallon when it's at $10 per ton and $0.30 cents per gallon when it's at $30 per ton. It can be reviewed and adjusted up or down, um, but will um, be required and um, will try to meet the, the goals that are in statute for emissions reduction by 2036. Um, as compared to the initiative language that we're hearing and seeing um, at the moment, 
There will be uh, the the price and escalator are not necessarily set in the initiative yet, but it will probably be higher than 6203, and there will be no price cap. Um, so that $30 per ton cap will not be there, and there will not be a review of the escalator. So what set will be set in the initiative most likely? In 6203, um, there's now $100 million to the multimodal transportation account, and the remainders are split up to energy transformation, which buys carbon reductions, the water and natural resources accounts, which go to things like um, water storage projects, stormwater, repairing fish culverts, and uh, fire prevention and suppression, as well as forest health work. There is a 15% allocation to transition assistance, which I'll get into. That is the social justice component of these bills. And there is 15% that is new to rural economic development account. That's um, $30 million for rural broadband strategic development and, um, and looking at how to increase telecommuting in rural areas. In this bill, the EITEs have new statutory exemptions by their federal NAICS code. Both um, those are statutory and permanent, and now there is a commerce calculation by which the Department of Commerce could go in and uh, identify who will be EITE based on their margins and trade exposure. EITE? Oh, I'm sorry. uh, Energy intensive and trade exposed. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Exposed businesses. Um, So those are maybe ones that are competing on international commodities markets um, who have small margins compared to their out-of-state or international competitors. And the idea is they need to be exempted because if they leave the state, an overall increase in global carbon emissions will occur. And we will lose those jobs, of course. Um, As far as the initiative goes, those EITEs will have the same exemptions that they had in the 2015 Clean Air Rule. So that was that they were being phased in over a period of time, but eventually all manufacturers um, would be subject to that, that tax. And there is additional designation if companies are not named in that clean air rule uh, language from 2015, but that will be by rule versus a commerce calculation that's that's like the one that's done in California. Um, refineries are now EITE statutorily, and they're given a 10% offset for their carbon obligation. So they can do uh, emissions reduction work on, on site, or they can do it in their communities, which is Um, which is probably helpful for those areas. And then some offsets are available in the initiative, but but not likely um, that that it will extend to refineries. Uh, There is language in several sections, but most notably in Section 803, that prevents projects from moving forward without tribal consultation, and that is a new item. Um, The projects cannot impact tribal treaty rights or tribal lands, and tribal governments can stop those projects, which they feel are interfering with their treaty rights or lands. The language is apparently stronger in the initiative, um, both for usual and accustomed tribal treaty rights and for tribal lands. Uh, Other notable... uh, in, um, uh, policy elements in the new bill, there are about 24 instances of new rulemaking and or agency policy development which could take the form of rules. So that will make it very administratively expensive and we have a lot of problems with that. Um, there are 20 instances of interagency collaboration. So that's language that sounds like Department of Commerce must work with Department of Ecology and consult Washington State University extension program, um, which again will drive up fiscal costs. And then primarily what we're seeing in this bill is an expansion of some of the elements that we saw coming from the interest group Alliance for Jobs and Clean Energy last year in the the carbon tax bills we saw. Um, So we're opposed to that language because ADBB members feel that any carbon revenue should bear a tight logical nexus to carbon reduction. And we're seeing items like affordable housing, existing and new DSHS and DOH programs, dollars going to tribes, and dollars going to things like toxic remediation, hazardous waste that don't necessarily relate to climate change and carbon. And there's more more of that, we think, in the initiative language. 
Finally, uh, Senator Carlyle expressed his intent to run a separate joint resolution creating a constitutional amendment to protect these funds from being swept into the general fund and used for other purposes. If that were to pass, though, it would take two-thirds of the legislature to vote on it, but it could be overturned at the ballot with a simple majority. Um, finally, I'll quickly touch on the low-carbon fuel standard. Um, we have House Bill 2338, which, as Gary mentioned, we're actively um, opposing. And it, it ha the low-carbon fuel standard has increased gas prices more than 10 cents already in California, and it will likely uh, see even higher increases this year in California. Uh, so we will be working with um, several of our partners on that in the broader business community to oppose it this year. Thank you. So a couple of things I want to explain on the carbon bill as it goes forward um, is re remember this has been around for the last number of years and this is really high on this governor's list that he gets our state to have a carbon tax. I want to go through and make sure that we all remember that what this will do for the average person and a lot of folks if you're not exempted out from paying the tax your power cost will go up your fuel cost will go up, meaning your transportation cost will go up, as well as if you use natural gas. So everybody will feel that. And one of the concerns that has been expressed by a couple of the senators, when you start talking putting a 10 cent, won't be called a tax, but at 10 cents at the pump to pay for this ratcheting up to roughly maybe 30 cents, then what are we going to do five years down the road, 10 years down the road, if we need more transportation dollars to further uh, congestion relief in our state? At the same time that we're dealing with this bill here on the cost of what it will do for transportation, we also, as Mary Catherine talked about, have the low carbon fuel standards that could add upwards of another 10 cents uh, a gallon cost at the pump. So from the area I, I come from, agriculture-wise, transportation is one of the major costs. And so we're really concerned about both of these moving forward, one of these moving forward. What does it do to the transportation cost of a lot of our folks and our manufacturers that are not exempted out of this? What does that do to their cost and their bottom line? So we're working on this very close with our partners as we move forward. As Mary Catherine said, it came out of the committee. It has not made it out of appropriations yet. Uh, it could be one of those last things that takes a movement coming out and then if it makes it out onto the floor, will it make it out of the Senate and then on over to the House? So we'll keep you informed uh, on that as we move forward. Are there any questions for Mary Catherine? So if you have any questions around this, please feel free to get a hold of me or Mary Catherine, and we'll be glad to walk you through those. Thank you, Mary Catherine. You. So Clay. So Clay is the new boy on the block. This is his uh, first year with AWB. We're excited to have him taking over our tax and fiscal uh, policy with us and coming right in. He comes in from the Finance Committee from uh, House Republicans is where he was before. So he comes in with great experience from when he was up in the House Republicans. And so he's stepping right in at a, a right time for us and we appreciate having him here with us. So Clay. Thank you, Gary. Uh, happy to give this update for you on tax and fiscal policy in, uh, in this uh, supplemental budget year. With few exceptions, the focus this legislative session so far has been on the progressivity of our tax structure or relitigating the property tax levy swap from 2017, rather than a focus on the competitiveness of our business climates for, jo uh, for job growth and, and innovation and entrepreneurship. We hope that changes in the second half 
of the session. Um, there are four manufacturing BNO rate reduction bills that have been signed onto by no less than 38 legislators, yet they haven't had a hearing yet. And we hope to see them come up for public hearing in the week ahead. Um, they're queued up, they're ready to be scheduled, and it's worth recalling that when the manufacturing BNO rate reduction policy that passes uh, the, both chambers last year and was vetoed by the governor, the rationale for the veto, the number one um, uh, reason for that veto that was uh, given publicly was that there had not been, um, there was a lack of transparency for legislators and the public that this policy had not been heard in the House Finance Committee, but rather was a policy that had been heard in the Senate and came to the budget negotiation late. So we think there's strong arguments to be having um, public hearings on any one or all of these four manufacturing rate reduction bills that have been introduced. Um, to name a couple of those, there's House Bill 2393, which would lower the ceiling of the B&O manufacturing rate to 2904. And this would do that uh, right away without a four-year phase-in. Uh, another bill in the House is 2947 by Representative Chapman. And this one limits, um, at least as it originally introduced, limits the relief on the B&O rate to rural areas of the state. And um, so that, that definition of rural can certainly be one that um, can get adjusted in the legislative process. It's currently defined to include only um, rural counties, which is a definition we currently have in statute and refers to counties with a population per square of uh, 100 people per square mile or fewer. It basically captures 31 of 39 counties. And those counties that would be left out, Whatcom County, Kitsap County, Snohomish, King, Clark, Benton County, and Spokane County. That's right. Okay. Um, so there are other ways to count to, to slice rural. Uh, some definitions uh, say basically you you know exclude anything that's not urban metro, and you can define urban metro to be uh, cities of a certain population. So there are other ways to to adjust that as these bills go forward, and we certainly support um, the broadest possible um, relief. So in the Senate, you have uh, Senate Bill 6596, which is a companion bill to Representative Chapman's bill. It also low, uh, reduces the B&O tax rate in rural areas, and it does it uh, phases it in over four years. And then there's Senate Bill uh, 6542, which lowers the ceiling of the B&O tax rate for manufacturers to 2904 with a phase in over four years. Um, so those are the bills that would really focus on our business climate in terms of competitiveness and innovation. Let's talk about some of the bills that have been highlighting on the theme of progressivity of our tax structure. Um, you have a, a bill that's been introduced to impose a capital gains income tax, uh, House Bill 2967, and that would be a 7% capital gains income used to pay down um, the state basic levy rate uh, and also to provide an adjustment for the senior citizen and disabled veteran property tax relief program so that the eligible income thresholds would be would vary per county based on the median household income of that county. Um, we've seen a, a slightly different uh, turn on that theme in the Senate. Senate Bill 6609 was introduced yesterday and it also looks for a pot of revenue other than capital gains income that could be used to drive down the state basic levy 
It's currently scheduled to be 270 per thousand uh, through I think it's 2021, and this bill would set it down to 225 per thousand. But to do that, it imposes taxes on uh, carbonated beverages, candy. Um, it imposes a graduated real estate excise tax so that properties uh, over a million dollars in value pay a higher uh, real estate excise tax than properties underneath that threshold. It adjusts the threshold down on the estate tax. Um, so there's a number of policy provisions in there that they use um, to, to come up with revenue. Um, it basically goes back and picks up policy that has been around the legislature at one point or another, puts it all into one bill uh, as a way to collect new revenue. So estate tax has been a real concern for mid-size and small businesses that estate tax passing from one generation to the next is unfair in our state. And here they want to drop that lower than the five million. So in the syrup tax that we're seeing happening in Seattle that everybody is complaining about, uh, the price of their soda drinks uh, all are going up at a, uh, a dramatic amount. So it's grabbing all of those, putting them into one bill, but it's very interesting to see the different slices of different taxes that they're trying to raise in that bill. That's right. We had a big public hearing on House Bill 2940 in the House, which uh, has this uh, progressive B&O tax reform. And, and that one says, uh, introduces a new calculation to do your B&O taxes where you have to figure out your gross marginal revenue uh, by deducting cost of goods sold, cost of labor for purposes of calculation only. And if you're under a certain threshold, then you'd have a tax credit enough to zero out your liability. If you're between 250000 and a million after the calculation, you pay the same. If you're over a million, you pay a 6% surcharge on your, on your taxes. The businesses that are over a million account for over 90% of the revenue collections to the state, and there hasn't really been any economic analysis of what a 6% tax surcharge would do um, to those jobs and, and that revenue to the state. A couple of key points. This, the AWB was the only um, state association, business association, that testified opposed to Senate Bill 5513, which uh, is a tax expenditure budget proposal. And this, this policy would have said that every year that the legislature does its two-year budget, they have to reauthorize tax preferences or they expire. Um, we testified against that in committee. It's moved out of committee now as a substitute bill with that provision removed. But it still has some language in there that adjusts the definition of available fiscal resources for the purposes of the four-year budget outlook. And we're going to look at that pretty carefully. Uh, AWB was also the only group to testify against Senate Bill 6382, which proposed a multi-year property tax reform task force that really would have looked and was directed specifically to look at whether or not the property tax should be reformed based on the character of a property being either residential or commercial. And AWB has always stood strong uh, on uh, not getting to a split role on your property taxes where we're characterizing some commercially with one rate and some residentially with another rate. So it's very interesting that in a short session and in an election year, there's an awful lot of new revenue bills out there. So it will be interesting to see how many of these actually make it through the 60 days. Uh, remembering that we will see the revenue forecast on the 15th. It's projected to be the revenue up around close to $800 million since the last budget cycle. So the revenue in our state is still coming in. The economy is still doing well in our state. 
you wouldn't think we would need to go be going out there and get raising more taxes at this point in time. So thank you, Clay. And are there any questions of Clay? Okay. Next, we'll move on to, to Mike. Uh, Mike has been doing our transportation stuff and our rural jobs and just went out with one of our alerts that all of you are really, really helping us with right now on the low carbon fuel standard. So, Mike. Thank you, Gary. Uh, good morning, everybody. Mike Ennis, Government Affairs Director here at AWB. I uh, want to talk to you about a couple things. Uh, I will touch on the low carbon fuel standard, uh, as Gary and Mary Catherine talked about earlier. Uh, got some more, uh, a more transportation-oriented perspective on that, on that legislation that we'll, we'll touch on. Uh, and then our rural jobs agenda, uh, going through uh, what our agenda is for session overlaid with the bills that we've seen um, so far. Uh, before I do that, though, I do want to touch on a couple of key bills that we've worked on uh, before cutoff, and now since cutoff has, has passed, we're pretty fairly certain that uh, two of these at least won't move forward, and, and one that we do support will. So I want to touch on those real quick as well. Um, the HPA bill, uh, 2337, uh, the business community has uh, tried to negotiate with Department of Fish and Wildlife on their HPA uh, uh, permit process. Uh, they want a fee increase. Um, we want uh, clarity on jurisdiction. Uh, we think they're applying jurisdiction unevenly across the state, uh, and we don't want to, to give them any more money until they are able to uh, further define what their jurisdiction is. Uh, they had a bill this year uh, that uh, would have uh, done some things that we disagreed with, uh, so we, we opposed the bill, uh, and it uh, does appear like it did not make it out of committee before cutoff, so uh, we're pleased to see that bill has died. Uh, we've asked the sponsors and the agency uh, to re-enter negotiations with the business community on that one, and, and we're happy to do so uh, moving forward. Uh, the other, uh, another bill that, uh, or two bills, another issue to talk about real quick is rent control. So right now the state uh, prohibits local jurisdictions from enacting rent control uh, uh, policies. Uh, and Seattle has been looking at wanting to remove that prohibition, and there were a couple of bills proposed this session. Uh, you might have seen uh, coverage on, on, on the news, both in print and on uh, radio and TV, for that matter, um, uh, on a bill that would remove the state prohibition and allow local jurisdictions to impose rent control policies. Um, AWB and other partners worked uh, against that, those bills, uh, and I'm happy to report that both of them uh, did not make it out of committee before cutoff, and, and so we are fairly certain those are dead as well. Um, and then 1622, which is reforming the State Building Code Council. Um, AWB and our partners have worked with uh, stakeholders on reforming the State Building Code Council for about three years now. Um, we've heard from our members that the agency, and, and I'm not overstating this, uh, was operating very dysfunctionally. Uh, we did not have a functional building code council um, over the last few years uh, for a variety of factors. So we've been working with stakeholders to try to reform that agency. Um, we have an agreement on a bill, uh, House Bill 1622. Uh, it did move out of committee. Um, it is on the floor, and we expect it to come up for a vote uh, likely today, uh, which is good news because our members, especially in the building community, uh, need a functioning building code council in order to move forward. Uh, so we're pleased that we were able to reach agreement on that legislation uh, with stakeholders and the, and the prime sponsors and, and expect to see the bill move forward today. Um, transportation. So as mentioned, this, the low carbon fuel standard, uh, that bill is 2338. 
Uh, it came out of environment a couple weeks ago. Uh, we got it referred to transportation committee to take a look at because of its potential impact on the transportation budget. Uh, AWB uh, and virtually every other business organization uh, in, in the state um, supported the Connecting Washington package in 2015, uh, and we feel uh, uh, that this bill would undo some of the provisions in that package. In fact, Senate leaders have told me that if the bill comes over to the Senate, they will renegotiate the transportation package on the floor. Now, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but it's not something I think we want to have happen. Our number one objective at AWB is to maintain the commitments to the transportation package. Um, there are things in it that we don't like. However, it was a compromise deal that we worked on for five years. Uh, we shook hands, and it's time for legislators to uh, honor that agreement. Uh, we don't want to see a low-carbon fuel standard enacted in the state because of its impact on the, the transportation budget. Uh, we care very deeply about transportation revenues and its, and its connection to infrastructure projects in Washington. Uh, so working against that, uh, we have sent out action alerts on it. Uh, we'll continue to do so probably for the rest of the session uh, as that bill sits there because it does seem to have a little bit of traction, at least in the House. So uh, look out for additional uh, alerts on it. And uh, if you are ambitious and feel like I'm wanting to weigh in on that, please uh, contact myself, uh, Gary or Mary Catherine, uh, and we'll help guide you through that process. And then lastly, our rural jobs agenda. If you're part of our rural jobs task force, you have seen this document. Um, I, we have meetings on this uh, throughout session, and we also had a phone call earlier this week talking about it. Uh, we have five buckets related to our rural jobs agenda uh, for session this year. They include job creation and workforce, um, as you heard Clay talk about, lowering the B&O rate for manufacturers, uh, finding a permanent legislative fix to the Hearst water decision, which we were able to accomplish earlier this session, so good news there. Uh, infrastructure improvements, and then lastly, finding a solution forward on rural broadband. We cannot have a conversation about rural areas and, and improving job creation in Washington State without a, a discussion about rural broadband. There are between two and 400,000 people in Washington State that do not have access to the internet. So think about that for a moment um, and how often you find yourself uh, using internet at your home or related to your work. If you want to have a home business or you want to work out of your home, um, you go to school, you take tests, uh, you, you cannot do any of those things um, if you don't have access to rural broadband. So trying to find, trying to find a path forward on that, a couple of bills uh, that have been proposed this session that we like uh, and are working on. Uh, Representative, I'll mention one, Representative Orcutt has one that we really like, uh, that is House Bill 2749. Um, and if you're part of our rural, jo rural jobs task force, you have seen um, a summary of that bill, and I won't go into it now. Um, but very excited about our rural jobs agenda, uh, very engaged on these on these issues. Uh, we have a great task force uh, chaired by Alex McGregor, uh, and we're uh, working hard uh, on trying to improve the economic prosperity in the rural areas. Any questions of Mike? You guys aren't asking questions either. My staff is doing such a fantastic job. that, Or is anybody out there listening to us? So thank you, Mike. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you, Gary. Thanks, everybody. Uh, next one is Bob Battles around employment law. And as Bob is sitting down, I think Bob said that it's been a very slow year. Uh, I think out of the Senate uh, Labor Committee, there's been 150 bills that were passed out of that committee. Uh, certainly not all 150 are alive that we're going to hear about today. Otherwise, you would be here with Bob. 
for the next three and a half hours, if not three and a half days, probably, for him to go through those. So Always happy to talk that time. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, as Gary pointed out, 150 bills, uh, and putting that into perspective, that's in four weeks. Uh, they heard many more, but they passed out 150 bills. Not all of those are live, as Gary pointed out. Uh, in fact, quite a few bills have not made it out of any of the, uh, the further committees, and we don't think we're going to see them. They went into appropriations or ways and means, uh, ways and means on the, on the Senate side, and did not make it out of that committee. So. But I do want to kind of focus on a few areas that, of bills that are still alive. Uh, many of the uh, labor bills that we were concerned about did not survive. Uh, ones that are moving forward are, is pay equity. This is a, a House Bill uh, 1506 and Senate Bill 5140. They're both currently actually uh, in the, uh, at the Senate rules or the Senate floor, uh, respectively, those two bills are. And there's a lot of discussion going around. The business community is seeking four specific amendments to those bills, uh, one of which is the statewide regulation and allowing that it be uniformly applied throughout the state. Uh, the concern there is, is without that uniformity, uh, businesses are going to be continued to uh, be subjected to different policies and different requirements. I think everybody is aware of how uh, minimum wage is handled in the state, and frankly, uh, your safe and sick leave is handled in the state. There are different policies. So there has been a push by the business community to try to find uniformity. When we negotiate in good faith down here, we want to make sure that we continue to have that apply throughout the state. The uh, next area that I think is out there that uh, affects a lot of folks out here is workers' compensation. There were not a lot of bills that moved. Uh, very few uh, have survived. There are two that we have concerns with. Um, one is uh, the presumption of existence for occupational diseases for firefighters and then including law enforcement. We all respect our, uh, our uh, first responders. It is definitely... Uh, a job that uh, we commend them for. However, uh, they're already allowed to make these types of claims, but to create presumptions shifts the burden onto employers to defend against them. Uh, and there doesn't seem to always be a scientific basis for why we would have that presumption shift. So we would ask that that not happen. In addition, the other one that's uh, of probably greater concern for the overall uh, business community is the inclusion in the, uh, those particular groups of mental health claims. While we again appreciate uh, that concern by including that, if it got, it got expanded beyond that to all uh, businesses, it would likely bankrupt the uh, workers' comp system, resulting in premiums going astronomical for it. They claim that it's going to be narrow and, and on this those areas, but uh, we all know how legislation can work in the future. So the other um, one, let's shift to wage and hour issues. There were really a lot of bad wage and hour bills. Uh, ones that just would have put so many burdens on employers that uh, weren't justified by based on the facts out there. But one that has survived uh, is uh, Senate or House Bill 1302, which is damages for wage violations. It would increase the damages uh, for a wage violation from double damages to triple damages in all cases. Uh, the argument there is somehow that those greater damages will bring more claims, uh, but the facts just don't bear that out. The facts say that there already is enough to enforce the policies that are already out there and that there is no need to increase that. So wage and hour, the rest of the wage and hour and the bullying bills and all those have not moved forward. Uh, I will say that there was one, um, let's not, not wage an hour, but uh, one bill that is uh, moving probably today is the, the sexual harassment uh, model policies bill. It's supposed to go to the floor likely, uh, I, I will say that it got pulled on the uh, 
motion for consideration or it's on the, it's on the list. So uh, this one is one that AWB did support, uh, creating model policies that can be used uh, throughout uh, businesses to try to develop uh, good workplace practices. Uh, these are not mandates, but policies and, and uh, to be able to uh, help you in the business community, which is uh, hopefully a way of, of doing things better in business. Two other big areas that we have concerns with are the non-compete agreements that are still out there, HB 2903 and Senate Bill uh, 6526. These are uh, affecting the way non-compete agreements are used. This is not to be confused with non-solicitation and non-disclosure agreements, but the, the concern we have with the way these bills are written is it essentially eliminates them. But it's kind of worse because it says you might still be able to use them, but I think it can become a trap for businesses. And so that's a concern. We are working with the stakeholders and the legislators on this. We've met uh, this this week on it. We are expected to meet actually this weekend again uh, to expand and see if there can be solutions found. I know that several uh, of our members came over and testified on these bills, some as far away from Spokane. And I want to thank everybody for that, to, to hearing that call and coming and helping us on that. The other uh, one I want to mention, because I think it's less impactful, but I think we were going to ask that, is that uh, um, the off-duty conduct bill. This was one that I know we, uh, we sent out some action alerts. We were very concerned about it. It was a substitute Senate bill 5667. This uh, we had concern with because it dealt with having the use of like marijuana off-duty would have not been able to be disciplined on duty. And the problem you have with that is a lot of folks have CDLs, government contracts. That The use of marijuana has been removed from the bill. There are still components in it regarding uh, free speech, which have some issues that might be for some members, but the bill is less impactful. So we are pleased that they removed that. Okay. Any uh, questions of Bob? I think what uh, just listening to Bob and, and watching that committee when you pass out 150 bills in that shorter period of time through the legislature, you're not given an opportunity for the public or our members to really come over and testify. When you get over here, oftentimes you're now given only one minute to testify. And to me, that is really changing our system to where you're more interested in running legislation through versus listening to the constituencies of theirs, of members like ours, that this is going to impact their businesses back home. And they drive all the way from a Spokane to come and speak for two minutes or one minute. It really shuts down on the process that we are supposed to have an open government. So that's always bothered me that we're getting to where we're more interested in pushing legislation through. So I want to thank you for uh, listening to us and being our partners. Once again, I want to thank each and every one of you that have helped us on the alert that we sent out on the low carbon fuel standards. Want to thank you and ask you to continue making those phone calls. If you have not, please do that. Uh, Please, if uh, manufacturings are important to you, and if you're a chamber that's on and our partners and manufacturing in your area is important, please then continue to call your legislators and let them know the importance of lowering that B&O tax rate down for the manufacturers. Manufacturers, we really feel are our base in this state. 
We need to build that base back. We've been losing our manufacturing out of this state. We want to reverse that trend and bring manufacturing back into this, into this uh, state. So want to thank you very much for being our partners. If you have any questions, please make sure you get a hold of me or any one of my staff. If you're not on their committees and you want to be to get their up-to-date material, then please contact me and we can make sure that you uh, get on each and every one of those committees because your voice helps our voice up on the hill. So please keep in contact with us. Thank you very much for joining in with us. Any questions, please get a hold of us. Thanks for listening. To stay up to date on all issues relevant to employers in Washington State, please click subscribe. We'll talk to you next time.